Well, good morning once again uh, for our sermon this morning. We'll be continuing our series in 1 John. We'll be looking at 1 John 3, 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find that printed in your bulletin. So I had a number of, uh, of part-time jobs growing up. Um, it's fun to sit down and think through the, the many different types of jobs I had. Uh, this started, uh, I guess, early high school. Everything from bagging groceries at the grocery store, uh, working as a bookstore clerk, worked in a library at one point, I mowed lawns, I worked in retail, I washed windows, lots of different types of jobs. But as I thought back through all these jobs, one of the things I realized was that even after I was hired and the job was technically mine, I felt like there was this sort of trial period where I really had to prove myself that I was worth keeping around in whatever job it was. One example of this, I worked at a a running shoe store in college, and I can remember the interview. We were sitting sort of in this dimly lit warehouse portion of this shoe store, and I was sitting across from the owner of the store, and we get through the interview, and she she looks at me and she says, okay, so I'm going to hire you. But we've had problems with students from your school not showing up on time. So I need you to make sure that you show up on time. Well, okay, I'll show up on time. I just need a job. But immediately I was put in this position of, all right, so technically I have this job, but do I really have this job? And so you can believe that I worked really hard in those next weeks and months to show up 10 minutes early for every shift and to make sure that she knew I was there on time. And we do this type of thing in, in, in all of our jobs to some degree. Uh, for kids who are in school, maybe you've done this with a teacher at the beginning of a school year, right, where you are assigned to a particular class with a particular teacher. And that teacher is officially yours for the year, and you are their student for the year. Technically, that's already been established. But you spend those first few weeks, that first month of school, trying to get on the teacher's good side, right? Because in the rest of school year, it will go well for you. If you don't get on their good side, it won't go well for you. We do this kind of thing all the time. And a lot of us treat our relationship with God this way. Uh, We recognize that there is um, something official about our status with God, that maybe we're technically Christians, but we still operate as though we need to convince God that we're worthy of being kept around. Or at least we need to try to stay on his good side. In our text this morning, John is going to tell us one of the most important, most transformative truths of Christianity, and yet it's one that we have one of the hardest times to really grasping. John is going to tell us that we are children of God. He's going to use uh, language of father and child to describe our relationship with God. And this is so crucial that we grasp this. Because if we don't, it will throw off all of our relationships. I heard a counselor say just this week that if we don't let God father us, we will begin to look for this love and nurture in other human relationships around us. And it's a love and nurture that no other human can ever provide. So we end up crushing people with expectations that we're in relationship with. So it's crucial that we grasp this. What does it look like to be a child of God? 
Let's look at our passage from 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that it is living and active. That by the work of your Holy Spirit in us, your word transforms us. So we pray that it would do that even now as we consider this text. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it look like to be a child of God? Let's think about this under three headings. Uh, Becoming a child, living as a child, and hoping as a child. So first thought, becoming a child. It's important to see that we don't start out our lives as children of God. This isn't our natural state. So Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it says that we are all born as image bearers. We're made in the image of God. We're born with that. But then Genesis 3, two chapters later, we rebel. We turn away from God, and we are fallen. We're in sin. So our natural state is that we are image bearers who have fallen. But our natural state is not that we are children of God. We have to become children of God. How does this happen? Well, John tells us that the Father's love makes us children. Look at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. All right, this is hitting on a major theme in 1 John. The love of God is all throughout 1 John. Uh, Robert Yarbrough, who is a professor at a seminary, and he wrote a commentary on 1 John, he says that John is preoccupied with God's love, that he speaks of it exponentially more than any other New Testament writer. I mean, it's off the charts compared to other writers. And his um, discussion of God's love coming from John, it actually peaks in chapters 3 and 4. We're looking at chapter 3 today and and 4 next week. And Yarbrough goes on to say uh, this about the Father's love. He says, The love's greatness lies in its effect. It makes people children of God. God's love makes you his child. Its effect is so strong that it brings you into the family. All right, how does this work? How can John tell us that God's love makes us children? Because God does not just snap his fingers and suddenly we're his children. Well, we read it earlier in our assurance of the gospel. This is from John chapter 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So John is telling us that it's the love of the Father that sent Jesus the Son to come to us and deal with our sin problem by taking it upon himself and paying for it in full on the cross. 
So now we can say that not only the father lo- Father's love makes us children, but Christ's work makes us children. Because something extreme had to happen uh, to our nature if we were going to be a part of the family of God. To go from being rebels to children, something official had to happen to us. Uh, we've spoken up front multiple times about our Adoption and Orphan Care Committee. Um, we have an Adoption and Orphan Care Sunday um, every April. And there are many wonderful things behind the scenes of our church that I get to see happening all the time. Um, the work of the Adoption and Orphan Care Committee is really beautiful work. Uh, I reached out to a few uh, families this week who have adopted children. And I just asked them, and you know, knowing we we're going to talk about this text... Uh, to give uh, their perspective on what the process of adoption was like. And multiple parents responded by talking about how difficult the process was on the front end. Uh, All the paperwork, all the agencies, the finances, the home visits, the travel sometimes. Uh, Lack of clarity in what comes next in the process. They all said that it just takes so much on the front end for it to be official. But then listen to what one parent said about the feeling when the adoption finally was official. She says this, It's official. We can use her new name. She's a part of our family forever, and nothing will change that. Nobody will call her by her old name anymore. She is safe. She has a future. We won't be perfect, but we'll be hers. And she'll be ours. Relief. All caps. Justice is satisfied. Her past won't follow her into the new life. All right, what did it take for us to, be, to officially become children of God? It took full payment for our sin. And instead of making us pay for it, God the Father, because of his love for us, sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to come and take that penalty upon himself on the cross and conquer our sin once and for all. Uh, This was our paperwork, so to speak. Uh, This is what the Father had to do to make our adoption official, and this is what gives us a new name. This is what gives us a new status. Now we are children of God. Here's what this means for us. Your status as a child of God does not depend on you. It does not depend on you. It doesn't depend on your good days outweighing your bad. It doesn't depend on your background or upbringing. Uh, Your status as a child of God has been secured and paid for and made official by the love of the Father and the work of the Son. This means that There's nothing you can do to change your status. Nothing you've ever done. Nothing you ever will do. Nothing. And maybe you've never considered Christianity this way before. Uh, Maybe you're here asking questions and exploring. And I would just say to you that, that what is on offer to you in Christianity is not a new set of rules to follow. Uh, It's not a new uh, club or network to be connected to. Um, What is on offer to you is an entirely new relationship with the Father and life in an entirely new 
family. Go back to verse 1. This idea that the Father's love for us makes us his children, this father-child language, um, this would have been shocking to the original audience. Uh, Listen to what Yarbrough says about fatherhood in this original context that the letter was written. He says, The Father's love stands in grim contrast to some expressions of parental love of the era. While the love of the father for children was, of course, present, it is also true that human fathers in the Greco-Roman world were not always affectionate or even equitable. Children might be abused and were often unwanted. When they were born, a father was free uh, to order them to be exposed or taken to an out-of-the-way place and left to die. Childhood was by no means always a time of safety and nurture in such an age. I know that resonates with some of you. That childhood was not a time of safety and nurture for you. A childhood may have been a time of fear or walking on eggshells around certain family members or of hiding or trying to escape. And now for you, when you think about childhood, it's just a time that you would like to try and forget. The thought of having a father who wants to be with you is a totally foreign idea. And the the thought of God being your loving father, it just doesn't connect. All right, if this is where your hang-up is, I want you to consider your adoption as a child of God from the perspective of God the Father. All right, listen to this quote. This is a, a quote from an email that another adoptive parent sent to me this week. Um, Listen to how they talked about their adoption from their perspective as a parent adopting a child. The first time I felt that our adoption was official was when we boarded the plane with our daughter to come home. The moment we got in a car to make the drive to the airport and board a plane home, I was flooded with relief. Again, all caps, separate person. Relief that brought me to tears. This precious child now forever had a family to call her own. A child that I had loved from across the ocean for years without her fully understanding. We can now actually try to begin to convince her just how loved she was. And no one could tell her or us otherwise. Also, all the barriers that we had to work through for the previous years were suddenly no longer. This brought such great joy. All of the heartache that came along with the whole process was all of a sudden so clearly worth it because here she was. And suddenly we were able to hold her, talk to her, kiss her because the paperwork, the interviews, the home study had all been taken care of. I'm still so very thankful. Did you hear what this parent said? We could now actually try to begin to convince her just how loved she was. You may have had a bad example of an earthly father growing up, or maybe no example at all. But think about your adoption by God from his side of it. Uh, The turmoil that he went through by sending Jesus to come and suffer and be rejected and ultimately die, all so that he can officially call you child and welcome you into the family. And now... As long as you are on this earth, your heavenly Father is going to spend each day trying to convince you just how loved you are. 
this is the type of father who has adopted us as his children. How do we become children of God? The Father's love makes us children. Once we're in the family, what does life look like? Let's talk about living as a child. Look again at the passage beginning in verse 1. John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The, re- and the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Look at verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Okay, so this is a present reality for us. uh, That in Christ we are now children of God. So what does this mean for us today? John gives us at least two things. He says it means that we'll live at odds with the world. And that we'll live according to family values. So John says that living as a child of God means you will live at odds with the world. When my family and I were were moving to town two years ago to come on staff at the church, um, you know, we started looking at different neighborhoods and we were house hunting and multiple people said to us, hey, just so you know, uh, youth swimming is a really big deal in Greenville. Uh, Like, you're not going to understand this until you live here, but it's a really big deal and the neighborhood that you end up in, you know, sometimes um, that impacts which team your your kids end up swimming for. And I thought, well, that sounds crazy. Um, and sure enough, it is crazy. Uh, well, it turns out that we ended up in a neighborhood, uh, which I won't name. Starts with a G. Ends with an hour. Uh, we ended up in a neighborhood, and now one of my kids on the swim team in the neighborhood, where uh, let's just say our swim team is not known for its humility. Um, and when I tell people what neighborhood we live in, Uh, They think of the swim team associated with it, and it guarantees one of two reactions. If they live in the neighborhood or, you know, they have a connection to that swim team, it's like we're family immediately. We have this instant bond. Uh, But if the person I'm talking to is connected to a rival swim team, uh, you can watch them physically bristle just as I say the name of the pool. Uh, What I've realized is that our connection to our swim team, it puts us at odds with everyone in Greenville. Why? There's a certain attitude, or there's a certain way of life that goes along with it that others reject. John is saying that our status as children of God will put us at odds with the world. Why? When we are adopted into God's family, we take on a new identity. And compared to the world around us, this new identity, it leads us into a way of life that looks totally upside down. It leads us into a way of life that stands out from the status quo of the world. It's a way of life that takes a different approach to power and service and money and sexuality and how we treat the poor and the marginalized. And the world sees this and it bristles against what what seems so upside down. Why? Why? We've already said it. John is telling us that as a child of God, you'll live according to these family values. That's what he's talking about in verse 3 when he says, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. When we enter our new family, we now start living according to our new family's values. Uh, When I was little, my, my parents have said that I would change clothes multiple times per day. 
And even if the clothes weren't dirty, I would just make this massive pile of laundry in my room. And so my mother ended up doing tons and tons of laundry. Uh, But in my defense, my changing clothes was not random. Uh, As a little boy, I would change my clothes based on what my dad was wearing. All right, so I'd wear certain clothes to school. I would come home from school. When my dad would get home from work, I would see whatever he wore to work. Then I would go and try to find something similar in my closet. And so I'd put on those clothes. And then if my dad changed his work clothes to maybe go exercise or do yard work, I would do the same thing. I would change clothes and try to look like my dad. What was I doing? I was trying to dress like my dad. I wanted to do what he did. I wanted to act how he acted. Our obedience to God is us trying to be like our Father. Loving what He loves. Acting how He acts. It's us living according to our new family values. It's us saying no to our old way of life before we were in the family. And it's us saying yes to this new way of doing things in our new family. And it's all rooted in this love relationship that we have with our Father. So what does it look like to live as a child? It means we're going to be at odds with the world and we'll live according to family values. I think if we're honest, this really pushes in on us. It certainly pushes in on me. It forces us uh, to some honest self-reflection. Am I really at odds with the world because I have this new family value system? Uh, Is how I use my money my time, my sexuality, how I approach work, school, homework, friendship. Are these things really at odds with the world around me? Do these things look upside down and distinguishable in my life? Or do they just blend in to the world around me? We become children by the love of the Father through the work of the Son. We live as children at odds with the world and according to family values. What about our hope? Let's talk about hoping as a child. Look at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. All right, what is our hope in the daily struggle and mess of our lives? Our hope is that we will grow up to be fully mature in Christ. What John is telling us here is that we are in process now. That we're not done growing yet. He's saying you are in process. And God has you right where you are in that process. And he's at work in you right now. It's not an accident or a mistake that God has you where he has you. And he's moving you towards this glorified state where he guarantees that that process will in fact be complete. Uh, There's a real temptation, and, and, and I've talked to many folks about this. There's a real temptation for us to think that everyone around us has it all together and we are somehow uniquely messed up or struggling in ways that other people are not. Right? Um, we operate as though everyone around us has really close friends and we're the only ones that feel lonely and isolated. Or sometimes we think that everyone around us has their finances perfectly figured out 
and we're the only ones squeaking by each month. Or we think that everyone around us has moved past certain sins and we're the only ones still struggling with these things. Or maybe everyone else has figured out how to parent and we're the only ones still trying to figure it out that don't know what we're doing. The reality is that we are all a mess. That we are all struggling. Now this may look different for different people. Um, Everyone is unique, but under the surface we are all still in process and we are not yet who we will be when Christ appears. And John is telling us here that yes, you are in process right now. You are still a mess, but you just wait because the Father has guaranteed that a day is coming when you will be fully mature in Christ. And there will be no more sin and no more giving in to temptation and no more grief and no more stress and no more self-harm and no more depression and no more anxiety and no more loneliness no more sickness no more death no more heartache just glory with the Father and the entire family of God forever what's our hope? our hope as children of God is that one day we will no longer be children but we will be fully mature in Christ that we will bear the family name perfectly. And verse 2 promises it. With the end of school and the beginning of summer coming up, we're right on the brink of summer camp season uh, for many kids, whether it's an overnight camp or just a day camp here in town. Uh, in, In my house, summer camp for my kids is like this future thing that they just obsess over, that they hope for, they can't wait for, and it affects how they live today. Uh, they, they're like printing off the packing list and laying stuff out and talking about what they're going to wear at camp. And they actually start wearing their camp clothes now because they're so excited about going to camp. It's this future thing that changes how they live today. Y'all, the hope that we have as children of God isn't just for the future, but it's a hope that actually helps us today. What if life is not going the way you expected it to go for you today? Your hope as a child of God means that even in that, the Father still has you. Uh, That where you are and what you're going through is not random, but your Father has you and He knows where He's taking you. When you're suffering, the Father has not left you. But He's with you. And he has guaranteed that this will not be the end of the story. That your suffering ultimately will not win out. Maybe you're in a season where you just feel distant from God. Or maybe you've been in a season of rebellion against God. Where where you are actively turning away from him and, and living a very different life. And you even feel shame about being at a church. And you feel shame about the thought of even coming back to your faith. The hope for you today is that you are not returning to a mean authority figure who is waiting to punish you and shame you. You are returning to a father who loves you and longs for you to come back home to the family. 
That's what you're returning to. To hope as a child of God is to know that one day we will grow up and be fully mature in Christ. And that hope impacts us today. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means we become a child of God by the love of the Father. It means that we live as children according to our new family values. And it means that we hope as children who will be fully mature one day. Uh, the, the names um, Dick Hoyt and Rick Hoyt may be familiar to some of you. Uh, this is a father-son duo who has competed uh, in multiple marathons and triathlons together in many running events. They compete as Team Hoyt. You can look them up online. These videos are incredible. Uh, so Rick Hoyt, the son, um, was born um, as a quadriplegic and with cerebral palsy. So he didn't have um, uh, really any mobility. And in 1977, um, his dad pushed his son in a wheelchair for a five-mile benefit race. And after they finished that first race, um, Rick, the son, loved it. Suddenly, this was going to be their new thing. Well, after that, they started doing more races. And they ended up doing over 1,000 races together, uh, including six Ironman triathlons. And listen to how they would do this. The dad would swim the 2.4 miles while pulling his son behind him with a rope that was tied to a boat that was holding his son. And then for the bike, the dad would ride the 112 miles on this custom-built bike that carried his son along. And then for the marathon, at the end of the race, he would push his son the entire way for all 26.2 miles. Uh, Rick Hoyt, the son, he has completed more endurance events than any one of us will ever complete. And he has crossed each finish line in the wheelchair with his father behind him pushing him. And his father was the guarantee that Rick would finish every race. If you are here this morning and you're in a season of life where you are really struggling, where it feels like the the next step forward is just impossible, Uh, where life is coming at you so fast from every direction that you can't keep up and you feel really alone. Here's the good news for you. That God the Father has adopted you as his child and that you are not running this race alone, but God the Father is carrying you the entire way and he's actually guaranteed that you will make it across the finish line. And all along the way, through those ups and downs, he is going to be at work convincing you, as his child, of just how much he loves you. And this is good news for us today. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you that you are our Father. And your love for us is so great that it makes us your children. That it causes you to send your Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live and die and rise again on our behalf that we might be justified and cleansed and made new again and adopted as your children. God, for those who are here struggling this morning, feeling distant, feeling the need to prove themselves worthy of your love, would you remind them that they are your son or daughter? And Lord, those who don't know you as Father, would you reveal yourself to them?
that in Christ they might become a part of this new family. We pray this in his name. Amen.